Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And today is everybody's favorite day of the week. Uh, election Tuesday. That's the one. Wow. Can you believe Election Day is already here? Well, I'm joking, of course. It's actually not here. It's not going to be here for a long time. So we're stuck with this political, uh, some would call nightmare. Others would call an opportunity to learn how to accept the world as it is and to uh, find value and inspiration. Now, this week has been an interesting one, to put it lightly. We've had the unfortunate, I don't know if I should say untimely death of 87-year-old Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest her soul. She uh, served in the Supreme Court. Uh, she's obviously not a friend of our philosophy here at the Ayn Rand Center, but um, is she the worst? That's what we'll get into. But more importantly, we'll get into what does this imply uh, for the Supreme Court, for the political process, for Trump, for the Dems, for the Repubs. There's a lot that our uh, my fellow hosts are going to discuss that I'm not really that interested in. No offense. <laughs> let's talk. Uh, let's bring on uh, a couple of guys. This guy, let me tell you, I once saw him on Fox News shouting or as he considers it talking. He was talking to his fellow panelists on Fox News. And this was when Trump, when Trump was running for president the first time. This man, he said, if I recall, if you're, a, if you're into capitalism and free markets, then I think Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton might be a better choice than Donald Trump. Please <laughs> welcome. That was, my, that was my last time on Fox News, if you can imagine, Rucker, if you can imagine. That was uh, my last appearance on that particular show. But and it was you. worth it. Jonathan Honig. That's right. Too hot for Fox. And um, well, look on the bright side. Maybe Trump will lose and they'll let you back on again. From your mouth to uh, God's ear. That's right. And speaking of gods, uh, let's talk to a man from the home of the gods. All of them, all 75 of them or however many there are. This is a guy whose name I've worked on pronouncing for a very long time. I'm only going to say it once because this is only a 20 minute show. Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Better. Hi. Unfortunately, I'm not in the land of gods. I'm in the land who, where the government today said, oh, we might also bring the army to help a bit with the curfew. It's the, it's the UK. But anyway, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So as you said, not our best friend in terms of her philosophy and her politics, of her political view, but definitely a respectable presence in the courts. But here's what I found most sad that for years, so many people were waiting to see when she would die. So she, she was battling uh, a, a very difficult disease and she, she battled very bravely and for long. But the discussion was not how can this human being you know, deal with this battle. It was like, is he going to die when, there's a, uh, when it's, there's a Democrat president or when, Obama, uh, when Trump came in power? Democrats were like, oh my God, please stay alive till Trump... And why is this? Because now, obviously, there is this vacancy in the courts. And the question is whether is Trump going to appoint someone now or wait for a couple of months, the elections. Now, I'm not even going to enter the discussion whether this would be principled or unprincipled because principles have gone out of the window. So the issue is here is the following one. Why is it that it's so important and so crucial who is on the court? Has it always been like that? And also, I would also put it, expand it a bit. And I'm throwing this on the table for both of you. 
why is it so important who the president is? Like this is this means that the system, the, the system that the founding fathers have envisioned has gone in a way very, very wrongly. Because if the Supreme Court is we do the counting, how many are Republicans, how many are Democrats, and our individual rights is based on, on whether RGB makes it for another year or not, then something is seriously wrong with the system. I, I agree. I mean, individual rights, Nikos, in a capitalist society, I think in an, in an American society, truly American society, are not up to a vote. Um, and, you know, that, that's what makes, I think, this elections so frustrating and so difficult. You know, Ayn Rand actually had a wonderful quote in a new textbook of Americanism. She says that elections are won in every month of the year except November, which I think is so great, right? Because it, it gets to that idea that, you know, it really comes down to not who's in political office, but those basically, those basic fundamental ideas that get people into political office. So, you know, my, my two cents on, on this issue, Nikos, as you said, I mean, it's, it's all up for a vote these days. So my, my two cents is, you know, people should vote whoever they want, vote for Biden, vote for Trump, or don't vote. But let's not believe for a moment that this election is a referendum on, on capitalism versus socialism. It's not. Trump is certainly not an example of a capitalist, and, and Biden is not an example of a socialist. And we, you know, we've often talked about America being this mixed economy, some capitalism, some statism. I think, and Nikos, maybe this goes to your point of why is everything up for a vote now, is that, you know, it is. It's, it's openly fascist on both sides. You know, both Democrats and Trump see government as an integral part of society, you know, in the economy, in your personal life, uh, including obviously, and Nikos, you asked why is, why is the Supreme Court so uh, important? Well, you know, abortion is, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of shocking. Ayn Rand obviously talked about abortion and I'm using your own uh, definition here, his term is a litmus test. That was not Iran's term, but you know, she talked about his abortion as a reason that she wouldn't vote for Reagan uh, as, one, as one reason. And you know, here we are all of a sudden that's back on the table. So I know for me, I don't see a distinction between socialism and fascism, nationalism. I see them as the same thing. Rand explained them both in the same stanza, I believe in capitalism. So, you know, vote for whoever you want, but let's not uh, make the mistake of associating Trump with capitalism because he shouldn't be associated at all. And Biden, if you want to talk about the definition of socialism, doesn't fit that mold either. So it's, it's both sides of the coin are losing sides. And that's unfortunately the distinction. That's, the, that's uh, a the bad place we found But Raka, quite often you talk about a lobby system. And I think this is what happens. So when we, when we count the numbers and, and we see well, what's going to happen in the Supreme Court, I think that, I don't remember what's your exact phrase, but I think it fits in this situation that our rights are at the mercy of, of the whims of a president of who is going to win the Senate, whereas it shouldn't matter. It should be people who understand the Constitution get to the court and then we sleep quietly at night because we know that no matter what goes wrong in the world, our rights do not matter based on what's going to be the lineup of the court. So how does your lobbying parable link to that my parable goes as such i mean rule of law means that it's not rule of men it's not up to the mood of the judge and it's not up to the constituents of the particular politician 
Now, I understand that's easier said than done. I mean, the founding fathers, they had a pretty good approach to government. And even they had to lose a lot of sleep and spend a lot, I don't know, a decade debating and figuring out how exactly to craft the government. Because on one hand, the, the people are volatile. On the other hand, um, we don't want to have, so like we need to have rule of law to overturn the, the, uh, the volatile peat masses. But on the other hand, we don't want the government to be just become tyrannical and completely deaf to uh, the people un over which it presides. And I think Congress was supposed to be like a combination. The congressmen are supposed to represent like the, the mood of the people or something along those lines, whereas the Senate is supposed to be kind of um, like just completely there to represent the letter of the law. I mean, this is just what they taught me in class. I'm not like uh, here to, I'm, I'm not like an expert or anything. I, I, I took a semester of American government at my local community college. Um, but I mean, but today, obviously senators, uh, congressmen, and all of them just repre represent the, there's, they claim, they, they openly say, we're here to represent, you know, the promises we made. We, we made a promise to these people when they're running for office. We pro, I, you know, I promise you all these, all those other politicians before me, they weren't keeping it real, but I'm here for you. I'm going to listen to you. And then when they get into office, look, I'm not only going to just do what my donors want. I'm here to, you know, and my voters want. I'm here to represent, you know, the little guy, the unheard guy. Um, it's, it is a, it's, it's a lobby system of a lobby system of a lobby system. It's just this never-ending contradiction. Ultimately, there's rule of law, and then there's everything else. I once heard a wise man named Jonathan Honig say, he said, there's no such thing as crony capitalism. There's capitalism and then there's everything else. And I have paraphrased that when I go out there and I, and I say there's reason and then there's everything else. There is capitalism and there is everything else. There's the truth and then that there's everything else. Now, when it comes to the Supreme Court, they are supposed to be as like, I think basically if the founding fathers had the technology, they might have kept the Supreme Court inside of a dome, just like shut off with just enough air for them to breathe so that they can't even access, you know, the news. Maybe. Am I wrong? It sounds like the point of the Supreme Court is just like they do not care what anyone tells them. They just look at what does the law say and they interpret it as loyally as they can. Um, so when we've gotten to a point where the where it's a partisan issue, who's going to get their judge in? You know, we are basically living under rule of men. But I know it's easy to complain, but what, yeah. what is the solution? Is, is for our laws to reflect a coherent philosophy, for our laws to reflect a coherent political philosophy, which of course relies on more fundamental philosophies. So until we get there, it's only gonna be a bigger lobby system. It's only gonna be more partisanship. It's only gonna be more uh, group pressure, pressure group politics and cronyism. So beware and be careful out there. So Jonathan used the quote. I have another quote that came to mind from what you were saying. And it's this Ayn Rand quote that says, civilization is the process of setting man free of men or something like that. Yes. Now, when half of the country says, okay, not half of the country, but when many people think that if Trump does the wrong thing with the Supreme Court, or if my candidate doesn't win, I go out and there's... I'm burning stuff or I take up arms, then you realize that this is not anymore the case. There shouldn't be so much things at stake. This means that our lives are now more entangled. 
and see how dehumanizing this is. I don't see anymore. Okay, now Raka is going to say you're not in the states. Let's say I am in the states, and let's say we vote for the same, uh, the same elections. Now, me and Raka are not only let's say trade partners or uh, uh, gym buddies or live in the same community. If you vote the wrong way, you ruin my life, and if I vote the wrong way, you ruin I ruin your life. So now suddenly, there's this low-level civil war between us. So, yes. Yeah. The, the oh, it's, it's, it's an active civil war because it, it's kind of gang warfare, Nikos, right? Because everything's up for grabs. And the whole beauty of the American experiment is that, I mean, a great opportunity to go back and read Rand's Nature of Government to say, really, what is the proper nature of government? Very delimited purpose. Uh, your rights not inter ever interfering with another's, but you're alluded to exactly that. All of a sudden, it's this open civil warfare where this one's going to oh, they're not using force against you. They're just going to get government to use the force against you. That's as immoral as anything else. So since you, since you both mentioned that the battle is not decided in politics, it must be decided somewhere else. And we'd agree it's decided at the level of ideas and of philosophy. So the second topic that we will cover today is that decision by Trump last week to go on with a program called the 7076 Commission. And this is a program to instill patriotic values to education. Now, some context for some years who might not be familiar, this is clearly a reaction to the 1619 project, which is a progressive, progressive in terms of where it comes politically, project to highlight that the roots of America lie in slavery and not in the values of the Finding Fathers or whatever. So two points here very quickly, and then I'll throw, it, I'll throw the ball to you. So the first is, I, I wrote a tweet saying, imagine if our next president in four years, not now, which, let's say it's AOC, Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez. Let's say she comes oh, up and says- I need a drink, hold on one second. Uh, all right, go ahead, thank you. Let's say she comes up and says, I'm coming up with an initiative to, to instill the values of social justice and, and racial theory, critical race theory in education. We'd be up in arms. But then I got a lot of replies. We said, Nikos, you don't understand. The left has been doing it for decades. So now why are you suddenly mad when Trump is doing it? This would have been done long ago. So comments, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Look, in, uh, in a very limited short-term way, I'm somewhat jealous of Trump fans. In, in the same way that I'm jealous of a man who is currently high on crack, because I know that for the next 10 minutes, he's, he's got a great life, you know? And that's kind of how I see this gratuitous game of us versus them. Yeah, let's pwn the libs, and it's so fun to watch Trump piss off everybody. But what's the long-term plan? What you're, you're throwing away rule of law. You're throwing away any uh, respect that people have for the idea of a limited government, of a limited is the right word, of a particularly appointed government. You're throwing away any respect that the head of state ought to have. And when it comes to this thing, um, so the, you know, they're, they're pushing the 1619 project, which is basically uh, this program that's meant to indoctrinate students, I think at public schools, that you know, America is always been racist and racism is the central, essential feature of America. 
Now, one could say they've always been teaching this or for a long time, public schools have been teaching that. I think that's correct. But now the 1619 project is that on steroids, I suppose. And what's the, what's the alternative to that? The alternative is privatized education. This should not be a publicly funded thing in the first place. And the solution is not to have then a Republican president say, oh, no, I'll show you what, how we, we can, two can play this game. We're going to have the 1776 project and we're going to, you know, teach a sort of, um, let's say, pro-American perspective in our, all of our public schools. And I don't, yeah, who knows if, if it'll cover the actual individualism uh, in the founding fathers. Their, their overwhelming uh, secularism is, when compared to today's Christians or today's whatever, Southern evangelicals, whoever's out there. Uh, trying to claim the founding fathers as their own. I mean, the, the solution is privatize and then let the parents educate their kids by proxy or at home or by proxy through their schools of their choice. Let, let the uh, families and the, you know, and the, the market and the families educate the young, you know, like this is, it should not be a political issue. The, the role of government is to protect your life from being, uh, from being violated by, uh, criminals domestic and abroad and to arbitrate disputes between citizens. It's that simple. You have one, two jobs. You have two jobs. I was going to say you had one job. You have two jobs, government. But of course, the government, they represent us. They represent us. You chose this. Back to you. Yeah. Back yeah, to I mean, yeah. And, and uh, for one thing, I mean, uh, uh, a lot of objectivists have talked about, and I think very appropriately, that government doesn't have any role in ideas certainly not in the role of teaching young people, and frankly, certainly not President Trump. With all respect to our supporters of the president, you know, it's widely reported that he has a certain history. He has a plaque in his, uh, one of his golf courses commemorating a civil war battle that never occurred. This has been widely talked about. So this is not the person you want uh, teaching history to, to young people. You know, Trump wants to be a radical, do something like what Jimmy Carter did. Jimmy Carter got rid of all entire agencies. He was a masterful deregulator that really paved the way for a lot of the Reagan ultimate booms. So Trump wants to do something awesome when it comes to education. Rucka, to your point, don't just install your version of propaganda. Uh, uh, de uh, completely uh, get government out of the picture. Privatize it. Let the Laporte schools, let uh, the Van Dam schools really get huge numbers of people who aren't burdened by all those property taxes can actually support private ed education and educate their kids as they want. And if they want their kids to go to that that uh, arc in the middle of uh, America where you go and learn that you know uh, the world was started by Noah, okay, I guess there might be a market from that. But I think there'll be a much bigger market for real rational education outside the yoke of that public uh, of that public news. So. The answer isn't Trump's version of, of uh, public education, but private education. That's the only way forward, Rucka, straight on. Two points to as uh, parting words from me. So the first one is you mentioned Lisa Van Damme. Guess which center is having her as guest in next week in a discussion? Well, it's the Ayn Rand Center. You guessed right. Great guest. The, and the kudos goes obviously to the Lord Emperor behind the scenes, Razi, who fixes these, 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 who organize these events. The second thing is, here's something very interesting that is happening in politics. So 
left and right, as you said, don't mean really anything anymore. It's not that you can find some principles on Trump and some principles or Biden and these principles class. It's mostly groups of affiliation or tribes. And what is that makes them distinct that they're against the other tribe? Now, here's the interesting thing. While this is happening, each one of these two tribes have one major aim, which is to do exactly what the other tribe is doing. So the left attacks free speech, then you have Prager or some of the conservatives saying, oh, we need to regulate Twitter. The left doesn't understand individual rights. Then you have people, again, from the youthful and energetic conservative movement saying, if you burn the flag, you should be criminally punished. And Trump himself said that. The left wants to control education, state education. The right wants to control state education. So in a way, they deserve each other. And the biggest difficult for me is to decide which is worse. I mean, I have, I think one of the two is slightly worse than the other, but that's not the discussion for now. So I will leave the parting words to Raka because who is better in intros and introductions and parting words. So. <laughs> Good point. Um, look, I mean, the, at the end of the day, it's philosophers who rule the world. And I don't mean yeah. that they literally dictate to us what to do, although we are moving in that direction, unfortunately. But that in itself is a result of philosophy. Um, philosophers, they rule the world, but they're like, you know, there's an episode of Futurama where one of the characters meets God. He meets God and God tells him, when you're doing the best job, people don't realize you're doing it. And that's what philosophers are. We don't realize they're manipulating us. Maybe they don't even realize they are, but their ideas seep out into the other departments, the humanities, especially the hum humanities graduates really rule the world more yeah. directly. We can see it with the art, with the uh, journalism and you know, politicians, of course, are shaped by educators and all of that. Um, that's the battle. I get it. Politics is an immediate issue and I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying it's, it's only scratching the surface and uh, we can play this political battle for the rest of, for the rest of time, but it's just, we're running out of time. That's the thing people don't understand because um, you know, people say, Oh, we, we tried appealing to individualism. We tried constitutionalism, but we kept losing or it just wasn't working fast enough. And look, then I, then, okay. But like, that's not the battle. The battle is not political. The battle is philosophical. And if you don't fight that battle, I will find you and I will give you a piece of my mind uh, out in the streets. And that's, you know, philosophers rule the universities. I run the streets and everybody knows that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone.